0: And the best part about Quince—they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Snow's History. Here I'm on Plymouth Hoe, the great maritime city of Southwest England. I'm looking out over Drake Island, looking out of the great bay, Plymouth Sound, imagining. Sir Francis Drake and Lord Howard of Effingham leading the ships out here in the summer of 1588 against the Spanish Armada that just been sighted off the Lizard Point. Um, I got my back to the, the giant Stuart fortifications that were built on top of the hoe here. It is one of the great sights. It's also the place where 400 years ago the Mayflower left this autumn, this fall. I'm here at the moment to kick off this season of commemoration. 400 years since that ship that has come to symbolise the gigantic movement of people across the Atlantic from the 17th century onwards, with all the attendant demographic, strategic, colonial repercussions on both sides of the Atlantic. There'll be a big Mayflower 400 podcast coming out next week, talking to all sorts of experts and descendants, both the pilgrims and, of course, of the Aboriginal uh, First Nations, North Americans, uh, who helped them through that first winter, but who would pay a terrible price uh, for their hospitality. This podcast is a repeat. This is one of our our weekly repeat podcasts. It's a a trip I took a few years ago to Florida when I looked around the Castillo de San Marcos. It is the oldest masonry fort in the USA. It's in St. Augustine in in Florida. It was begun in 1672, by which stage the city had already been there, the settlement had already been there for over 100 years. And it was built, obviously, because of... English raids down that coast I was shown around by Alan Arnold. He's an interpretive ranger for the National Park Service. Uh, it was a wonderful experience, and I think it gets us in the mood to think about European colonization on the North American continent. If you want to listen to other back episodes of this podcast, please. I go to History Hit TV, it's like Netflix for History, it's got all the podcasts on there, hundreds of documentaries on there, all sorts of good stuff. If you use the go to Pod1, one, POD1, you get a month for free and your second month for just one pound, euro or dollar. But in the meantime, everyone, here is Alan Arnold taking me round, the Castillo de San Marcos. Enjoy. Tell me about this fort, because... I came here as a child, and I've been obsessed with it ever since, because it's one of the finest early modern forts anywhere in the world, and surprisingly, it's right here in the USA. You wouldn't expect it.
3: Uh, No, you wouldn't. Matter of fact, even when you learn history here in the U.S., um, it usually begins with Europeans landing in Jamestown, 1607. Well, 42 years before that, the Spanish were landing and founding St. Augustine. 42 years. I jokingly will say to a lot of visitors who are surprised to see that, that, By the time they were stepping off ships and figuring out that it was going to be tough to survive up there, the Spanish were going through urban renewal in St. Augustine.
2: amazing so this is the old, it's called the oldest city in the united states of america and, and that's because it is
3: yeah it's it's the it's well there are little caveats to that okay. of course you know when you're dealing with historians you want to be as as precise as possible so it is the oldest continuously settled european colony in north america of course the spanish tried several other times to colonize on the west coast of florida and they failed so this one as of 451 years still strong looking strong
2: and as a result people should come here and you actually have to see it to believe it don't you it, it, it does feel almost like a late medieval european settlement
3: yes yes a lot of a lot of people uh first thing they ask is why don't you have water in your moat which is one of the funny things yes it does uh, have the very kind of a medieval feel to it but you know as fortifications uh, change as technology changes uh you end up with something like this which uh this design is actually called trace italian or star fort And um, it's really perfect for artillery fire, which is what the Spanish were concerned with when they were building it. Of course, um, the base of the walls would be the things you'd want to protect against artillery fire, because enough shots at that base will bring down the whole wall. So you want to build a berm around the fort to intercept that cannon fire. Well, you don't want that berm to be right up against your walls, so you spread it out a little bit, and and in result, you have a moat, little covered way. And then you have that, that hill that we walked up when we came up here um, around the fort. Um, it's called a glacis. So those things, even though it's you know, not a water-filled moat, it was a useful area.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, this fort, we should say if people are, you know, that sort of star-shaped fort, like the, the French under Vauban built them, famous in the Low Countries. It feels like you're in Europe here. What is the history of the fort here? Was there, a, was there an earlier fort and this was an expansion and enlargement on it?
3: Yes. Matter of fact, this is the 10th fortification here in St. Augustine. Um, the nine previous fortifications were all wood. So, of course, there's not much left of them here in Florida. Um, wood just doesn't last. And, and when, would, when did they start building this one? Um, this one, uh, October 2nd of 1672, and this was kind of on the, the heels of a couple of events. Um, in 1686, St. Augustine was attacked by Robert Searle, a pirate. Um, and then in 1670, Charleston was founded, that, that colony, that English colony just to the north um, that basically put those those fighting forces within striking range of Spanish Florida, and they realized their wooden forts then would be little more than, I'd say, a speed bump. To an organized force. So they, you know, it's either we better build a serious fortification now or prepare to give up Florida. And
2: so this, I guess, we, I, I didn't think about that, but we are sitting at the very northern tip of this mighty Spanish North American empire, are we?
3: Yes, yes, exactly. And you know, one of the biggest uh, things that I try and, and, and get people to understand is the importance of this area because it's really not apparent when you are here in Florida. I mean, Florida uh, has a lot of mosquitoes, alligators, swamps, things like that, but doesn't have any of the things that you would associate with Spanish uh, colonies, things like gold, silver, spices. So it does beg that question why here? Well, it doesn't take long to figure out, once you do a little bit of reading about how the Spanish were doing things, that in order to get all the gold and silver and spices they were getting in South America and Mexico back to Spain, you needed a route. And that route was just off the coast of Florida. It was that Gulf Stream, um, that very large oceanic current. It starts in the Gulf of Mexico, makes its way around the tip of Florida, then up the east coast of Florida Three to five miles an hour. Um, And then it widens and heads east across the Atlantic Ocean. A three to five mile an hour current back then basically doubles the speed of any ship along it. It's essentially their superhighway. So holding on to Florida basically is that insurance policy for those treasure fleets.
2: St Augustine is famous not just for being the, the longest continuous settlement, but it then exchanged hands a few times, doesn't it? I mean the history of Florida is very, very interesting. I think not many people know about this
3: Yes, uh, matter of fact, there have been um just over this fort this this three hundred and forty five year old fort has had six different flags flying over it um, and each with each of those those changes brought upon pretty pretty large noticeable difference in this city. Um, but the common thread between them all is that they didn't change through force of action. It wasn't by the tip of the sword. It was by a quill. It was treaty talks that transferred power here in Florida. Um, and you can thank the power of this fortification to, to being uh, that. So this, so this fort was never successfully besieged? Um, correct, um, it, it defended itself. It was laid siege to several times, um, but in all those accounts, the Spanish were able to fend off uh, the attackers.
2: This fortification, this settlement, and indeed this well, this, this territory would remain Spanish until when.
3: Uh, until 1763, and that's at the end of the Seven Years' War. Um, the British had successfully taken uh, Havana, Cuba, as well as Manila over in the Philippines, and both of those uh, were their hubs for, the resp- for their areas. Um, of course, for the Americas being Havana and, and for uh, Asia being uh, Manila. So they valued it at that point most likely a lot more than Florida, as well as a couple other things, but the British ended up getting a hold of Florida. At that point. And they would hold on to it for about 21 years. What happens then? Ah, well, then at the end of the Revolutionary War, there's another treaty signed, and that gives Florida back to the Spanish. So there's another peaceful transfer of power. So, And it remains uh, Spanish- until when? Um, until 1821. Uh, in 1821, the adams onis Treaty is signed, which gives Florida over to the U.S. And um, there's a, a number of $5 million thrown around. Now, the U.S. didn't pay $5 million for Florida, but um, there was debt forgiveness as well as a couple other economic things that if you wanted to throw a number out, that's about what it was. So U.S. got Florida for $5 bucks. And
2: general jackson who became andrew jackson the president and we got we got jacksonville just up the coast mm-hmm. here he, he sort of invaded florida as well and and then did, but he he never captured this this fort then
3: no there was that was the the last siege of saint augustine so to speak in 1812 it's called the patriots war and um it would be there were skirmishes but it was nothing like the previous sieges that this fort has seen there weren't cannonballs being fired at the fort and you know long nights of of siege and stuff like that um it was an occupation of the area that ended in a withdrawal, basically.
2: Okay, so then Andrew Jackson and, and then the following treaty and the uh, $5 million <laughs> figure that goes around. And so after that, did Florida remain part of the United States of America for the rest of history?
3: Uh, if there wasn't an American Civil War, I would be able to say yes. But there was an American Civil War. So in 1861, uh, this was a Union fortification. And uh, of a couple of days before, the, before um, Florida secedes from the Union, um, uh, Confederates show up at, at the door of the fort, and, um, well, there's a peaceful transfer of power then. It's interesting, though, because during the American Civil War, there's, there's not much in the way of fighting over this area because, well, to give you an idea, the Union only had one guy here tells you how much they valued it at that point. It just wasn't usable. Um, It's no longer defending those trade routes. Um, This port here is a very shallow one, uh, so there's not much trade going on. So it's kind of almost lost its original purpose at that point. But we were still held on to. Um, The Confederacy would hold on to this fort for 14 months before abandoning the area and the Union coming back basically the day after and and reclaiming it in 1862. So same flag basically since 1862.
4: Learn about Yasuke, the African warrior who entered the trusted circle of Japan's most powerful warlord. Hear accounts of cultures colliding when Portuguese missionaries landed on Japanese shores and followed Japan's journey through years of division and bitter warfare to unification at the dawn of the modern era. Make sure you catch every episode by following Echoes of History, a Ubisoft podcast brought to you by History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more.
1: As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.
2: Okay, so that's interesting. So was Florida not very well set? It was almost like a, an outpost to deny it to the enemy it wasn't it wasn't part of a thriving settlement as it is today
3: i would i would almost agree with that um of course you do have cattle and oranges and indigo and cotton and stuff like that uh, crops uh, agriculturally it was it was fairly important supply wise um but other than that you know it's not the huge you know insurance policy so to speak that it once was
2: so I guess that's quite interesting. That explains why St. Augustine is, is so wonderfully preserved because it was a very important place in the 17th, 18th century under Spain. And it then history kind of rolled on. And, and as a result, it was never hugely developed and turned into a you
3: know, huge commercial district or residential.
2: And as a result, we've got this complete jewel left in, uh, in, in northern Florida here.
3: Yes, and you know, it's, it's funny that you say that. Um, that actually, in the late 1800s, um, the Congress, the U.S. Congress, sat down and uh, for the very first time spent $5,000 of federal money to preserve something historical, and that was here at this fort. It set precedents that federal money could be used to preserve history, basically. You're kidding. So this was the first place they spent money on? Yes, and as such, you can see why it's in such a good order, why it's been preserved. It's been identified as something that is special, very special.
2: So we've come into another. What, what are these rooms called? Casements. Oh yeah, okay, the casements. So there would have been people sleeping in here or supplies.
3: Yeah. Well, during that first Spanish period, this would have been a guard room. Um, it would have been like um, beds in a firehouse, temporary lodgings for whoever was on duty at the time. Um, and it's uh, there's a huge fireplace in one corner. Look at these. Oh, look, you can see there's a, Is that a ship up there? There's lots
2: yep. of carvings on the wall. What period yep. are these from?
3: Uh, we believe that they are from that first Spanish period.
2: They're ships of the line, you know, multi-gunned, multi-decked ships carrying cannon with towering masts and sails. They're, they're
3: amazing, aren't they? Yeah. You can even but this one 's got a flag on it, is that a, yep, and that looks like a cross of, of burgundy that's Spanish cross
2: so we think they're Spanish ships now why would they be carving ships? I suppose it ships the most <laughs> remarkable things that they would have seen you know, the biggest and most incredible bits of human ingenuity at the time perhaps yes. they were very struck by them
3: yes, uh, and it, they meant a lot of things to you, whether they, they meant that you were going to get your supplies or you were about to get paid or they meant that you were about to do your duty as a soldier and defend yourself. So ships, yes, they, they mean quite a lot too. If, if you see some tall ships arriving on this scale, something's about to happen. Exactly, exactly.
2: Break up the, the boredom perhaps. What's this little uh, door over here? This looks like a, a prison cell.
3: Yeah, that's uh, the car cell, the prison cell. Um, and, you know, they're... From time to time, maybe a Spanish soldier that maybe had one too many to drink would be, would be thrown in here. Um, but the really, uh, if there are interesting prisoners, the uh, most interesting one would have been during that, once again, that 21 years of, of British occupation, and that was Christopher Gadsden. He was a lieutenant governor of South Carolina. He was a patriot. So during the Revolutionary War, exactly, exactly, um, he refused to sign a parole and was imprisoned in this small uh, cell for about forty-two weeks.
2: Forty-two weeks in this cell. Yes, solitary confinement. That's terrible. You've almost got me sympathising for the uh, the rebels and the U.S. Uh, War of Independence now. So he was. So he was kept. In, so if he'd signed parole, that would say I promise not to escape, and he would have been kept in nicer lodgings.
3: Basically. Well, actually, there were three signers of the Declaration of Independence that did sign similar documents, and they were under house arrest in the city. So if the Brits
2: bagged any signers of the Declaration of Independence, any traitors, they were brought down to East Florida and imprisoned, basically.
3: There were three of them, yes, when they attacked uh, Charleston, yes. Amazing. And now we're sitting
2: in uh, a storeroom here. We've got, have we got artillery positions above us? Or? We do. Right. And would, we these would have been, what would this room have been full of? Powder and supplies?
3: So, uh, right behind you are some barrels. And oh, yeah. um, those barrels would have been full of rice at one point. Um, each of these rooms would have most likely been uh, housing a, a different supply, whether it has been black powder or food. Um, think of the fort during that first Spanish period as a big warehouse with guns on top of it, kind of like a storm shelter, waiting in preparation. Nobody lives here, they have homes in town. There are guards on duty, but during the event the time the siege, any siege, any attack, you bring everybody into the fort and then you have supplies to keep them alive and defend yourself.
2: And what would have been the worst siege that this um, fort withstood? Would it have been a, a British
3: siege during the Seven Years War? I'm trying to think. Um, so <laughs> there are two major sieges that happen. Um, The first one would be a 51-day siege. Now, during that time, the entire population of St. Augustine came inside of this fort, which numbered around 1,500. So this fort isn't the largest thing in the world. That's packing it in pretty tight. And they'd be here for 51 days of bombardment. Well, they had a lot of supplies then. So I would say that that wasn't the worst siege, so to speak. when was that one? That was in 1702. Okay, during the War of Spanish Succession. Yes, yes. Um, And then... The second siege in 1740. Um, that one would last closer to a month. But St. Augustine, well, it was, running, it was going through a tough time. Supplies, they just didn't have as many as they, as they probably should have had. And Oglethorpe knew this. James Oglethorpe was the, the leader of, of that siege for the, the British. Um, he had spies in St. Augustine that were telling him that this place was running low. I mean, those supply ships weren't coming in. So good time to attack. And he almost takes St. Augustine. There are a couple issues with communication, as well as some weather that forces Oglethorpe to break off the attack relatively early. But he came really close to taking St. Augustine because of supplies, not because of the ability to defeat this fort.
2: I'm I'm always amazed when I'm studying uh, history of especially 18th century history in this part of this part of the world. Is most of the outcomes of these expeditions depend on sickness, supplies, weather, and, and you look at so Sam Willis just wrote a brilliant book about the American War of Independence uh, from the naval perspective, and and there's fleet's just being destroyed by hurricanes. Uh, that there, there are uh, sickness will rip through a camp like they did in the British Army in Havana in the in the Seven Years' War. So it, it must have been a brutal place to campaign.
3: Yes, this is definitely not not a. Uh, <laughs> it's an inhospitable place to say the least. Um, but you know the Spanish they they're fairly well prepared for what this land has for them, has in store for them. Um, each of the homes in town, for example, had their own wells. So you don't have communal wells that can can risk wiping out a colony. Um, you also have uh, a, a form of waste management. You know This soil here, it's so sandy, there's not much nutrient in it, so you take your waste and you turn it into night soil, basically, um, for your little gardens and whatnot. So that, in effect, has has that to help with, with illness. Now, we can go back and look at that now. Now, whether they knew back then that that's what they were doing is a whole other story. But um, if you lived past, say, the age of 10 or so, you could live into your 70s here. We have um, records of the, the Spanish soldiers still drawing pensions, still... still uh, into their 70s. So.
2: I guess the Spanish, because they came here first, they must have actually... In, in Britain, we all learn about how terrifying it was for the Brits to be sent out here and that they got ripped apart by fever. Actually, the Spanish probably had worked out survival strategies as a result of them being there that that bit longer.
3: I don't have any uh, any records of that, so to speak, but I think the proof can be shown by this colony that it is here, and it was here so early, and it stayed, you know, so well protected. Um, but that's not to say, you know, St. Augustine was a, a lively, you know, lovely place to come, because you got to remember, it's, it's not a hub of wealth here. I mean, those treasure fleets don't stop by uh, un- unless they're under attack or, you know, they've been shipwrecked along the coast. But, yeah, no, St. Augustine is not a... Uh, a really fun place to be as a Spaniard. There's no, not a lot of wealth coming through here. It's a military outpost, so it's sometimes just getting the situado, the the military pay, is a difficult thing here. Um, so these people that were here and that that stayed here, they were a hardy people for sure.
2: Now a lot of the buildings, this up this this fort is obviously 17th century. A lot of the buildings in town look very old. Are, are they kind of reconstructed or a bit <laughs> Disneyfied? You tell me. I, I'm kind of interested.
3: Well. The last time the city burned down was in 1914. So I think that might answer questions there. Um, But another interesting thing, bring it back to um, the British connection, is during the 21 years the British were here, this was during the Revolutionary War, and this was a Loyalist colony. East Florida, St. Augustine was a Loyalist colony. So there are, say, 13,000 people that come into this 2,000-person town. So there's expansion. Second stories are added onto buildings. Um, this fort, they knock holes into the wall for ventilation and turn storerooms into bunk houses, basically. Um, so even the name, St. Augustine, interesting thing. You know there are Spanish-named colonies here still. You know, We have San Francisco, one of them, San Jose. Well, why don't we call this San Augustine? Well, I don't know if there's a, proper answer for that but think during those 21 years when that new country was being minted just to the north what did they call this place it was saint augustine so that influence of the british here would even though they were only here for 21 years still to this day you can see when you're walking down saint george street seeing those overhangs that wouldn't have existed during that spanish period um and then you know the holes in the fort as well as the name so the british have left a big imprint here
2: I feel have the history of our children. All this tradition of history of the history of our country, all